Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, JJ, with the most. Of course, with me is Arif Dean, and I got to introduce the third member of the pod squad. He's our newest member of the team. He's the producer. He's going to be the magic behind making us sound good. That's Patrick Stebbin. Patrick, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, Avs fans? Thanks, guys, for bringing me on. I'm uh, excited to be part of the crew. There you go. A, a man of many words. And uh, that's why he's going <laughs> to be it. behind the scenes doing things, right? Love uh, it. Yeah, Patrick uh, Patrick actually reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and was interested in helping out. And uh, there's no reason why I'm not going to let him help out. And he made us sound a heck of a lot better in our last episode. So if you caught that and you thought, hey, JJ and Arif sound a lot more smooth, especially me, because I like to scream and spit into my mic. <laughs> It's because of Patrick's work behind the scenes. So shout out to Patrick for that. We're excited to see where this goes. Anything that sounds great with our podcast moving forward, you can definitely give a shout out to Patrick for that. Every great podcast out there has a great producer. Before it was just me lackadaisically doing things uh, to the best of my ability. But now we got somebody who knows a little bit more about what they're doing and, you know, just going to help this podcast continue to grow as the Avs continue to grow, right? I mean, we've spent the last couple of days not watching Avs hockey. What have you been doing, Arif? How have you handled it? Uh, I've been watching hockey, just not Avs hockey. That's pretty much it. I mean, just trying to wait for the rest of these series to wrap up, and uh, especially one series that we're going to get into in a little bit here that's going to seven games that actually has an impact on who the Avalanche play next round. So it's just been a lot of hockey, just not the Avs. Right. Before we get into that series, let's start with the simple conversation. And, you know, I'm not really starting with a stance. I'll try to develop one as you go, but it's just the simple radio conversation, I say in air quotes, of rest versus rust here, right? I mean, the Avalanche are going to be an entire seven days without playing an NHL playoff game. How do you think that makes a difference in what's upcoming for Colorado? So I know in the past this has not really done well, and I wrote a Dean's List story today because I got bored and sad and missed hockey so much that I decided to write the thing that I usually write on game nights, and I just turned it into a looking around the NHL story. Uh, and one of my five things in the Dean's List was a very interesting statistic, and it's very specific. It's not just rust uh, or rest versus rust. It's a very specific thing where a team coming off of a sweep – Playing a team coming off of a seven-game series, the last five times that that has happened, the team coming off a seven-game series has defeated the team coming off of a sweep. So just to give you an example, because that was a lot of words jumbled into one, in 2019, the Columbus Blue Jackets swept the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. We all remember that. The Boston Bruins needed seven games to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the infamous series where Nazem Kadri was suspended. Second round, Boston coming out of a seven-gamer, Columbus coming out of a four-game sweep, the Bruins beat the Blue Jackets. So history says the Avalanche are in trouble because whether it's the Minnesota Wild or the Vegas Golden Knights, one of those two teams is going to play a game seven on Friday and win and then come to Denver two days later and play a team that's had a week off. However, now to get to the answer of your question, rest versus rust, and uh, I know you're smiling at me right now because it takes me three hours to answer <laughs> any question you ever ask me is in any season, I would have a little bit more of an issue with it, but not this year, because this year the avalanche have had two breaks already 
And those were COVID pauses where they had to get locked into their apartments and Grubauer was doing some virtual goaltending dimension thing to practice and everybody else, Belmar is like squatting his kids and deadlifting his daughters because he's got nothing else to do. But that's not the case this year. They've had little time to practice as a team, but they've practiced every single day outside of taking Monday off. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they're already prepared to practice again tomorrow. They're getting time on the ice to actually build uh, some kind of chemistry, to build some, some, some planning for the upcoming series. So I don't really find it as big of an issue. Uh, game one might be a little bit of a shake the cobwebs off, especially in the first period. Uh, rest versus rust, there will be some rust, but I don't think it's going to affect the game as much as it would have in the past. So essentially your answer is, who who knows really, both can be positives and both can be negatives, right? Both both can be positives, both can be negatives, but I think in this case, in this specific season where there's been little rest, it's good for the Avalanche to have had an opportunity to rest without it being a COVID pause. Their rest was being able to get together as a team, plan, practice, and get four to five consecutive days of practicing as a team before playing their next game. Yeah, I get that. I think typically, kind of like you said, I think it would be something to consider. Um, but however, considering that it's playoff time, I think that's huge for, you know, we always talk about how playoffs is just a different animal, right? And so even in the first round against St. Louis, you know there were some bumps and bruises. I'm sure Bellamare is extra yeah. thankful for this break. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously some good stuff that comes out of that. But at the same time, the playoffs, you look at the other end of the spectrum, right? And somebody who's played a game seven, they're going to be way banged up. And I get it for the momentum factor. The people who played the game seven are used to playing a higher intensity level of hockey within shorter time frame here. But with the bumps and bruises, it's going to create a factor. It might not for game one, right? It might be in favor of the game seven player in game one, but it's a sprint, not a marathon. I know losing game one statistically kind of sucks, but as long as you can win that seven games, and I think the healthier team will be able to stretch out if it goes to seven games, right? If it's in that seventh game, you'd rather be the team that got more rest. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, if you're the Avalanche, you're not interested in anything but doing exactly the same thing you did to the Blues. And I'm not saying sweeping them, but getting on them early. Getting on them early, imposing your will, playing your game, and really making, whether it's Minnesota or Vegas, I think it's going to be Minnesota. We will get into that. But whether it's Minnesota or Vegas, I kind of feel like if you're the Avalanche, you're most interested in imposing your will on the game quickly and putting the other team on their heels. Because when the other team is on their toes and they start to take advantage and take a hold of game one right away, they've got that momentum. They're buzzing. They played Monday. They played Wednesday. They played Friday. And now it's Sunday. They're playing. They're beating the avalanche. But if you start to make them kind of cringe and clench a little bit like, uh-oh, the avalanche are beating us. Now they're a team that suddenly we're tired. We've This is our fourth game this week on a Sunday. And the avalanche have had a week off and they are buzzing. So if you're the Avs, that's what you want to do in game one. Yeah, or even I think if you could get out of the first period with a 0-0-1-1 tie, that'll, do, that'll have the same effect. Exactly, or you know, kind of do what you did in the Blue Series and set the tone in that first period, which is what Landeskog did, and it ultimately you know, it, it changed the entire tune of the series. There's always one play you can look at that kind of sets the tone for the series. It was obviously, we had a whole episode centered around it, Landeskog fighting Braden Shen in 2019, Shout out to our old friend Nikita Zadorov because it was him in game two after the Avalanche trailed one nothing in that series to Calgary, hitting Matthew Kachuk, who was a pest in game one, hitting him in early in game two, knocking him off of his game. He was a non-factor the rest of the series. 
Avalanche wants four straight and won the series. So you want something like that, and you want it quick. Well, let's get into what you said we've been waiting to get into, and that's the Vegas Minnesota series heading to Game 7 here, probably the night of when you listen to it, right? And then we'll expect the winner on Sunday night. So Vegas versus Minnesota, it's been a weird series, in my opinion, with how few goals and how shocked Vegas looks offensively. Yes. So this is, like we said, this is a team that's been around the NHL for four years now and has already developed a reputation of, we can't score in the playoffs. And they're going to go up against a team that has Nathan McKinnon that has scored all the goals in the playoffs. Nathan McKinnon still leads the NHL in goals. He hasn't played since Sunday and he's played four games. So if you're the Golden Knights, you're kind of sitting here like, I had a three to one series lead. I had an opportunity to win this in game five at home and I blew it, even though we outshot them, I want to say 41 to 14, and that could be a little bit off. And then you go into game six in Minnesota and it's like, all right, let's not, you know, make too much of an issue out of this. Let's win it now. They get outshot 24 to 23. They get shut out. They get shut down and the wild win three, nothing. I know there was a goalie interference call in there, but don't be in the crease, Alex Tuck. I know it was a shitty call, but you were in the crease. So... Now you're going into game seven and whatever happened in game five no longer matters. Whatever happened in game six no longer matters because now it's a coin flip and it's a coin flip against a team that is feeling good. And for whatever reason, and I know history means nothing on the current wild. I understand that. It's like the avalanche. We're like, oh, the avalanche just can't win a game seven since 2002 in the second round. Well, you know what? The avalanche not winning a game seven Losing last year and losing in 2019 matters because it's McKinnon, it's Ranton, and it's these same guys. Grubauer's been involved in it. But the Avalanche that lost the Game 7 series to the Red Wings in 2002, who gives a shit? There's one guy left, and he's in the press box. It's Joe Sackick. But I'm going to go ahead and just completely conflict with what I just said. Because in 2003, the Minnesota Wild came back from a 3-1 to series lead on the Avalanche. Went to the second round, came back from a 3-1 to series lead on the Vancouver Canucks. 2014 came back from a 3-2 to two series lead on the Avalanche. I think they've done it before to another team. I can't remember who it was, but this team makes comebacks and wins those Game 7s, whether at home or on the road. Give me Minnesota all day. Cam Talbot's on his game. I think they are going to shock the Golden Knights. How are the... I know a lot of arenas around the NHL are opening their buildings to more fans, Ball Arena being one of them. Is T-Mobile, where Vegas is playing, are, are they opening up to more, do you know? So the funny thing is about that, JJ, is they've already increased capacity and they did it for game five. Game five was their first game where they had over 11,000 fans in what they call the fortress at T-Mobile Arena and they lost. So they've already had that jump of this many more fans, loud arena, all your home fans. But this is the Golden Knights team that I believe is 0-3 and closing off a series at T-Mobile Arena or sorry, maybe 0-5 of closing off a series at T-Mobile Arena, but 5-5 five and five closing out a series on the road. They've never won a series clincher at home for whatever reason. And that includes that series against the San Jose Sharks where they, surprise, surprise, coughed up a 3-1 to one series lead and a 3 to nothing series lead in the third period when that whole weird Paul Stastny thing happened, uh, the penalty, the phantom call, and the five-minute major, and so on and so forth. But they've already gotten their rush of fans, and they got it for Game 5, and they were not much able to do much with it. The Wild got their rush of fans in Game 6. They were able to do something with it. Uh, in comparison, by the way, just so that you have something to compare this to, the Avalanche are going to have 10,500 fans up from the 7750 
when they start the second round series on Sunday at home, which was announced today that they will be playing Sunday. So they've already had their rush of fans and they weren't able to do much with it. All right. Well, I'm just looking for any excuse to pick the Knights here because as I've said so many right, times, even no, no, stop, way stop, back stop. in the no. off season, I want this series. No, no, no. I need Time this out. series, Arif. Time out. No, I need it in my I need it. No, no, I need no. it back. I need to ask you. I need I need you to stop so I can ask you a question. How much money do you have riding on the Golden Knights? None. None. Oh, I just Oh, you just ruined it. Okay, never mind. I, I I understand you want to see the Az Golden Knights, yeah. but you seemed a little too invested. I'm like, there is definitely action involved in this. No, there isn't. There isn't. Uh, I, but I just want to see some great hockey, and I want to see two of the best teams duke it out. In all regular season, these were two clearly two of the best teams. The only problem is with every series, even with some of the greater teams, you see a moment that just breaks them, right? You saw it against Washington. I think it was game two that suddenly turned all the capitals against each other and Ovi's yelling at his own teammates. And, you know, you, you see it. It happens everywhere. I mean, with Edmonton, I think they were a really good team that just broke at some point in that series. And I think Vegas might be a little bit broken mentally. And I don't think this COVID situation that they're dealing with is helping. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Braden McNabb, Peyton Krebs, and Ryan Reeves, I believe, are all on COVID protocol, and they might all miss Game 7. That is a big deal. But the funny thing is, in the NHL, the playoffs this year, I don't know if you saw that meme in the beginning of the year where it's like the second round of the NHL could have Tampa Bay, Carolina, excitement. Ovechkin versus Crosby, another classic. Matthews versus McDavid, the new era. Colorado, Vegas, the two best teams in the league. Let's go back and take a look. <laughs> Carolina versus Tampa Bay still could happen, but the Hurricanes are tied 1-1 with the Predators right now in Game 6. If they win Game 6, being the, the, the Predators, then it goes to Game 7, coin flip. But if the Hurricanes win it, they'll play Tampa. Great. Excitement. McDavid versus Matthews. McDavid's already golfing. Matthews and the Maple Leafs couldn't close it out in Game 5 today. They're going to Montreal for Game 6 in a game where the Habs are welcoming back fans, the first and only team in Canada to do it. Good luck. Because if the Montreal Canadiens win that game, then you're going to a game seven. Crosby and Ovechkin, they're both out. Colorado versus Vegas, who knows? It depends on the Minnesota Wild. So we just can't have nice things this year. Suddenly it's Boston versus the Islanders. So it's going to be physical, you know, bully team versus Barry Trotz hockey. Uh, shout out Samin Varlamov, even though he's not the one that's winning the games. Uh, it's going to be... Hurricanes or Predators versus Tampa. It's going to be Winnipeg versus Toronto or Montreal. By the way, this is not Winnipeg of three, four years ago with the Bufflins and all the all the fun players they had. This is the Winnipeg now. That's literally Connor Hellebuck and guys. <laughs> Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley. I get it. Blake Wheeler, but just not as good a team as they were a few years ago. And then the Avalanche and the Minnesota Wild, maybe? Maybe the Vegas Golden Knights? I don't know. It just seems like this is the year where you thought you were going to get so many classics, but end up with not much at all. Part of me is also rooting for the storyline though of uh oh the uh, Blues had COVID or at least a couple of them had some COVID issues in round one. Then Vegas gets through and they have some COVID issues in round two, which would be fitting because the Avalanche spent so much of the regular season even getting hit with it twice, two different COVID protocol pauses. So they uh it, it'd be kind of karma coming back through in the playoffs for them, right? Yeah, you got to you got to use the regular season to get ready for the playoffs and the Avalanche did that. They practiced, they they got all their chemistry in order. Oh, and by the way, they also got the COVID out of the way back then. So they were planning ahead it looks like, right? <laughs> Shouldn't make a joke out of COVID, but you get what I mean. I do, I do. Well, uh moving on since you made a joke of COVID and just offended half of our audience. Let's 
get to uh, Nazem Kadri update. It sounds like the hearing for his appeal was done today. Um, we're, I'm assuming an answer will be done by tomorrow before we hit the weekend, right? Because I think Bettman would tr- probably rather enjoy his Memorial Day weekend than be dealing with Nazem Kadri. Yeah, it's going to be a very NHL thing to do and and dump news at like 2.30 p.m. on a Friday going into the long weekend. Like, oh, by the way, we have uh, upheld the suspension and it's going to remain eight games, <laughs> which is exactly what's going to happen because step one of the appeals process is meeting Gary Bettman and Kadri did that today on Zoom. Uh, I don't know who else was involved with the call, but I know Kadri had hired outside uh, represent representation. Uh, I'm sure there's other people in the NHL involved, the player safety, maybe Joe Sackick. I'm not sure. But that happened today being Thursday, and I honestly thought we would get some sort of, uh, you know, information on how it went or some sort of update Thursday night, but that's not happening. Clearly, it's 1040 p.m. on the on the East Coast right now. So I'm sure we'll hear about it Friday, which means Kadri will take it to step two, which is meeting with a neutral arbitrator and trying to get those games lowered. Uh, I like what Elliot Friedman said on his podcast the other day. It's Kadri knows he's, he should be suspended, but he's trying to get it down to five or six games because five or six games means you return in game four or game five rather than game six or seven. So it's it's a lot better for Nas to miss just half of this next series, be it against Minnesota or Vegas, than to miss pretty much the entire thing and possibly the Avalanche losing the entire thing and him to not be able to play at all. Yeah, I think no news is good news on this front. You don't want it coming out too fast and then just saying, nope, up, appeal upheld. I think they're taking some time looking at both points, both sides of the field here, and I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance that maybe it gets dropped to six at most, though. I don't think it goes anywhere less than that just because I think they might take into account how quickly the first round went, and had it gone six, seven games, he would have gotten a couple chipped off there anyway. So um, yeah. why not just give him another four? for uh, the next series and then let them play if it, if the series goes beyond four games. So the reason why I agree that it's going to go six games is because in tw- 2019, when they suspended him for the rest of the first round series for that uh, suspension for hitting Jake DeBrusque. Right, where they just said suspended for rest of first round rather yeah, than giving it, him a it game It could have been five games. It could have been six. It could have been seven. It didn't matter, but it went to seven, which means that in, 2000, in, uh, in 2019, he was suspended in game two. He missed three, four, five, six, seven. He got five games. Gary Bettman's going to say, okay, we'll lower it. Or the arbitrator is going to say, okay, we'll lower it. But it still has to be more than your last one. It can't be five games again. You had five last time. You're getting six this time. End of story. And that's if they even lower it. I still think there's a big chance he's going to stick with the eight, but he's going to try as hard as he can. And like you said, no news is good news. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll have something for us by tomorrow. And then we saw Bowen Byram hit the ice again, which is great news. Um, what do you expect from him? Should we see him in the lineup as soon as game one? So Jared Bednar wouldn't commit to it. And I actually wrote about this today. It was also part of my Dean's list was number one, Bowen Byram's been cleared since the first round started. Uh, the difference today is Byram spoke to the media today. He spoke to us today and, uh, He's, he's healthy. He said that there was a lot of days where he wasn't feeling 100% between his injury and COVID, but he's feeling good now. The crazy thing is about the Avalanche is, so they made it through the first round playing six defensemen, and we know who they are. It's McCarr, it's Taves, it's Gerard, it's Nemeth, it's, uh, who am I missing? Timmins and uh, Ryan Graves. The top five blue liners, the lowest of those five was Patrick Nemeth, and he played 18-23 per game. Number six was Connor Timmins. 
he played 9.20 per game. He played nine minutes less than Patrick Nemeth, and Graves, Gerard, Taves, and McCarr all played more than that. So what that says to me is if anybody's going to sit for Byram, it would be Connor Timmons, and that's if he does. Uh, there's a lot of people, and we'll get into it later, that are asking about Patrick Nemeth. Nemeth played a lot of minutes. He played a big role. He played a big role in front of the net in terms of clearing out the crease for Grubauer. Uh, say what you want about him. He was brought in to be the physical presence that they were lacking after trading Ian Cole, that they were lacking after Eric Johnson went down. Patrick Nemeth, unless he completely makes like massive boneheaded mistakes, I don't see him losing his spot in the lineup, and that's just the way it's going to be. So... If anybody's going to sit for Byram, it's going to be Connor Timmons. Yeah, and you even saw Nemeth take a bigger role in even post-whistle stuff, right? Even sending those messages and just doing that playoff, you know, rubbing your face with my nasty glove. Um, yeah. But I think it makes sense for Timmons to not be to be the odd man out, I guess, because Byram, I feel like he really flourished during that stint when Timmons was out of the lineup. You know, he was dealing with injuries again. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised just to kind of maintain the fluidity and remember what he did right earlier in the season. That's going to be an interesting case because what are you going to do here? I mean, I know we, we, we sometimes think too much about the right and left thing, but the reality is that does matter to coaches. So if Byram does get an opportunity, is it going to be an opportunity that he gets because the avalanche decide to play seven defensemen or is Byram going to get an opportunity because Nemeth sits or is it going to be Byram getting an opportunity because they don't mind playing two lefties on the third pair? Yeah. I mean, I can't break it down any further than that, I guess, uh, but it's just good for him to be back in the lineup. Obviously we all love what he brought to the table and uh, just to see him flourish and see what he can do in the playoffs is exciting and get some playoff minutes behind him. And you know he's going to handle him well. I mean, he stepped right in the NHL confidently. It really took him very little time to adapt, and I expect the same thing with playoff hockey for him. Absolutely, and and this just goes to you know say how much the Avalanche are pretty much swimming in, ri in, in, in riches of depth right now, which I hope I don't end up biting those words because they have 17 injuries by the end of the second round and lose another Game 7 upset, you know, like last year to the Dallas Stars. But Owen Byram, Jacob McDonald, those are two very worthy NHL defensemen. And then on the forward side, you have a whole bunch of guys as well. Any idea what it was he was dealing with? Because I'd prefer, you know, he they cradle him in and make sure that he doesn't re-aggravate anything if it's something re-aggravatable. Honestly, at this point, I don't even remember if it was upper body or lower body. So it's been I a while. I can, it's, it's been, been a, while. a while. But then when he was starting to feel well, he had that COVID issue, and that kind of you know set him back as well. So at this point, I, I can't even say. Avalanche sign a wave of prospects today: Jean Luc Foudy, Alex Bocage, and Trent Minor. Um, all just within a couple hours of each other. What do you read into that? I mean, let's not dig into each prospect. I think there are other podcasts out there that, that probably do a better job than we do. We're yeah. more of an NHL podcast. But, um, you know, of that group, what really stands out to you? What stands out to me is the fact that they signed this entire group. I believe it was over two days, but they're starting to lock up guys that were drafted in 2019 and in 2020. So... And the, and the cool thing is that a lot of these guys are, are later round dudes. So Jean-Luc Foodie was a third rounder. He was the second pick the Avalanche took last year after Justin Barron because they did not have a second round draft pick because of the Andre Burakovsky deal. However, Trent Miner was drafted in the seventh round in 2019, 202nd overall, and he must be doing something right to get a contract. He's a 6'1 goalie. He's 185 pounds. 
Uh, he plays with the he played with the Vancouver Giants. He got a few games in with the Colorado Eagles this year. He was two, three, and one. Um, but he's played four years in the WHL with the Vancouver Giants, and he's put up some pretty good numbers over those years. Alex Bukaj, what's good about him is he's another third rounder. He's from 2019. So what this basically says to me, he's a 6'1", 192-pound winger. He plays both wings, and he played with the with the Victoriaville Tigers this past season. Obviously, it was a shortened uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League season. He played 22 games. He had 17 goals, 28 points. All of that is to basically say the Avalanche, and it's kind of funny, the twist and the turn this is going to take, but the Avalanche have done a good job of drafting in recent memory outside of the top, the top, you know, picks. Because in recent years, it was always the Avalanche hit on their top picks, and they've done a pretty good job. I mean, outside of uh, Connor Bleakley, they've done a good job of hitting on their top picks. Drafting Matt Duchesne, drafting Miko Ranton, and even Tyson Jost at 10th overall. If you look at that that year and the guys around him, that wasn't a bad pick either. But after the first round, they struggle. They struggled with Chris Bigra. They struggled with all these other guys, Nicholas Maloche, AJ Greer. You know, they finally got one in Connor Timmins, and he's kind of still a little bit, you know, in and out dealing with injury issues. They got Tyson Berry. They got Ryan O'Reilly in later picks, but holy crap, that was 12 years ago. So it looks like they've been drafting well. And what it says to me when you're drafting, when you're signing this many of your prospects is you're doing a good job of drafting, which means your amateur director of scouting must be doing a great job. Except the Avalanche let go of Alan Heppel today and replaced him with Wade. I'm going to mess up his last name unless I read it off of a sheet. Wade Klippenstein. And uh, he's been with the organization for a few years. But what it says to me is the Avalanche are doing a good job of drafting. And Wade Klippenstein has a big hand in that. And you can't disregard how many goalies they have right now. I mean, they've been heavy on drafting goalies in recent years, just looking to find some answers. And I feel like they're just taking as many shots as possible, right? Eventually, one's going to hit. And so, you know, I like the idea of signing Trent Minor. But now you've got some UFAs on your hand. You've got a couple other goalies you got to make some decisions on. So I guess what's the future look like for the AHL group of goalies who I think currently have five guys if they all were here next year? Yeah, the crazy thing is with Trent Minor sign and Hunter Miska having two more or one more year left on his deal, they still have Peyton Jones, who's an RFA, and I'm not sure if they're going to bring him back. He's 25. But they've also signed just Justus Anunin. Obviously, he's kind of like the big name of this group that could be the next big thing for the Avalanche. Adam Werner's an RFA. Are they going to bring him back? Jonas Johansson's a UFA. He's a Group 6 UFA because he's 25. He just hasn't played enough games. And then you have Dubnik, who's obviously in the NHL. So... They've got a lot of names, but like you said, I think at this point, they're just kind of like throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks. Um, Because around the NHL, you're having random goalies come up and just kind of make a career, but you've never seen that from the Avalanche. You've never seen it. You saw it with Peter Budai, but he was a second rounder. And then you kind of saw it with Vitaly Kolesnik way, way back. But other than that, they've never really had a goalie come out of nowhere and actually make a name for himself. So they're trying to have those guys. I mean, how cool would it be? Trent Minor, seventh round draft pick starting 15, 20 games, maybe more than that in the NHL. It's happened to other teams. It doesn't happen with this organization. Yeah, I mean, mine and probably everybody else's money is on Anonin, right? I mean, Anonin's the one everybody's got uh, their hopes high for. Yeah, and that's the guy that we're all looking out for. That's the guy that, you know, Philip Grubauer is a UFA this year, but we can all say that we're expecting him to come back at some, you know, amount of dollar raise than what he's making now. And Pavel Francouz is under contract for one more year, but going into 21 or 22, 23 and 12 months from now, 
in that offseason or a little more than 12 months from now because you're going to win another cup next year, obviously, after winning this year. Duh. But at that point, you have to look at replacing Francis with a cheaper option and you're hoping Anunin is ready by then. Yeah, absolutely. Too bad it's not something you can actually bet on when Anunin's going to take the backup role for the Colorado Avalanche, but there's a ton of stuff you can bet on. And most importantly, the playoffs, right? It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into 200 That's 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy, and if that team wins, you will receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention, bet $5, and if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. All it takes to claim these 40 to 1 odds on the basketball team of your choosing is place a $5 bet on that team to win. Don't forget DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsback Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you claim $200 in free bets. That's promo code MHS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. JJ, if the Avalanche are playing the Minnesota Wild compared to playing the Vegas Golden Knights, how would that change your play on how long the series would go and who would win? I mean, I just don't think you know exactly what to expect, right? Because we keep pointing back to the season and that blowout game and that stretch of wins that the Minnesota just looked lost. But I'm sure they have a whole barrel full of excuses as to why that happened. And so the, the Minnesota team that we're seeing right now is completely different from any team we've seen all regular season. So it's hard to really say what to expect uh, until you see them face off and see game one, and then you adapt and you re-strategize and you go from there. But uh, what, what more can you expect other than a fast team against a team that's just trying to keep up and, and limit the offensive production of what the Avalanche can do? Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is, for me, the way that I look at these two possible matchups is, look, Vegas is a great team. We all know this. They can beat the Avalanche, and they can't. Like, they probably will. Like, they have, the Golden Knights are a good team. They could very much beat the Avalanche. But what kind of sparks me about the first-round series going seven games is if the Wild win, they're going to come into the series against the Avalanche with a whole ton of confidence. They're that 18-year-old that just got laid you know, with some 25 year old model from Spain or something like they're going to be completely through. That was a worse example, but they're <laughs> going to be completely through the moon, just excited, just full of confidence, ready to go. If the Golden Knights scratch and claw in a seven game series, which is what it's going to take to beat the Minnesota wild. And then they go, all right, let's exhale. Fuck. We got the avalanche. Like that's going to be a completely like mental like mind fuck for them. Like they're going to be completely out of it. And and I kind of feel like the wild are going to give the avalanche more than the golden Knights would, but there's no way to ever compare that because we're only going to play one of them. It's not like you can play the wild and then go back in time and then see what it would be like against Vegas. See, I think you, you're just disregarding the whole matchup idea, right? I think some teams just match up better 
against other teams. And, and in this case, I think Vegas just has more of what it takes to slow down and beat the Avalanche than Minnesota does, just like Minnesota has more of what it takes to beat Vegas than any other team we've seen in the NHL. So I, I think what of course, for me, it comes down to is goaltending, and I'd rather face Talbot than I would face uh, Mark andre Fleury. So I guess deep down inside, I'd rather see a Minnesota Avs series, but um, uh, outwardly, I want to see just the t- two best teams of the season duke it out, and uh, the winner earns the right to go on. It is crazy to think that the Wild beat the Golden Knights five out of eight times this year compared to the Avalanche only beating them four times, being Vegas. Then again, the Avalanche also had to deal with playing them out of a COVID pause, but I get your point. The matchup thing is a big thing that I'm probably not taking into account. But the the fact of the matter is, and this is kind of the thing that I'm going to say going into the second round, is whether it's Minnesota, whether it's Vegas, whether some random team comes out of nowhere and goes, never mind, you're playing us instead. If you're the Avalanche, you should feel confident with whoever you're playing in this round. You should be able to win this. You should be able to be the West Division champs, go to the Final Four, and really have a shot, a shot at you know making your first Stanley Cup final in 20 years. So the matchup thing is important, but I don't think Minnesota's matchup against Vegas is that much better than the Avalanche's matchup against Vegas for the Avs to be worried about the Golden Knights compared to the Wild being able to you know take them seven games. So the way that I look at it, whether you're playing the Wild, whether you're playing the Golden Knights, you should win this series. Yeah, right now I picture the Avalanche as that angry dog that's just snarling at you and just pulling the collar, just trying to get at you, but they're held back by a leash, right? The Avalanche just want to get after it. They don't care who it is. It's been seven days since they played hockey. They're the greatest team in the NHL right now, and they're just... They love being out there and competing, so let them get out there and compete, and they're they're just chomping at the bit here, I think. You know what's funny? In, in all this talk of uh, all those series that I was talking about that we were hoping to get, but we're not going to get, there's also the idea of like Colorado versus Tampa Bay. Oh, I can't wait for that. Or Toronto versus Boston. I can't wait for that. The Nashville Predators are beating the Carolina Hurricanes 3-1 to one as we record right this moment. If the Predators win that game, they're going to force a game seven. So you know what I'm excited for? I'm excited for the Avalanche to beat the Minnesota Wild and then play the Nashville Predators in round three and then play the Winnipeg Jets in the Stanley Cup final and completely not get any of the series we wanted. Not Colorado, Carolina, not Colorado, Vegas, not Colorado, Toronto, not Tampa, not Boston. It's going to be St. Louis Blues, Minnesota Wild, Nashville Predators, Winnipeg Jets. Book it. That's going to be the way it goes when the Avs win the Cup this year. You're on that funny juice now, Eric. Just going wherever just you want here. I'm, I'm just, I'm dying, dude. I'm, I'm ready for hockey. <laughs> Speaking of funny juice, I wanted to get into real quickly the hilarity that ensued in social media, and it's funny how it all happened right after the uh, St. Louis Blues series. Suddenly, the Avalanche got their social medias back. Right, they were allowed to get back onto uh, Instagram and what have you. And what did we see? Grubauer post his favorite picture from the series. Right, kind Love of it. trolling Jordan Bennington. Next thing you see is JT Comfort chime in, and he shows. Shows a picture above himself, raising his hands. Bennington's down on his knees, completely sad. And Confer's caption is, I didn't score on this goal. I just really liked the picture. Why did he like the picture? Because Jordan Bennington's in it, and he's yeah. sitting there selling, selling right in his face. Um, so you love those two, and just that little bitterness, I guess, from the from the abs to, towards Bennington. Yeah, that must break your heart that they're sitting over here bashing your favorite goalie in the NHL, JJ. No, my favorite goalie in the NHL is probably the guy that I think the Avs are going to play next. So, um, Cam Talbot, great. <laughs> no, it's Flurry. I Flurry's my favorite goalie in the NHL too. But 
Yeah, it's hilarious. I mean, this is exactly the kind of thing I was talking about the other day when you said that Bennington was getting under everybody's skin. And I'm like, no, Bennington is making a fool of himself and everybody's just going to laugh at him to the point where NHLers with boring personalities are laughing at him after beating him in a sweep. <laughs> fair Tell enough. me I wasn't spot on. Patrick's here too. He was in the conversation oh, last fair time enough, too. Fair enough. Tell me I'm not spot on. I'm not going to get into it with you, but I'm not going to admit I'm wrong <laughs> either because I, I would never do that. Um, but uh, another hilarious thing that happened on Instagram was Connor Timmons showing a cool picture of himself making a pass out of the corner. And uh, Devon Taves decides to go and caption it. This is the only time you'll ever see Connor Timmons making a pass, something along those lines. So a little teammate to teammate chirp which was hilarious i mean obviously there's no uh sinister mindset behind it but just out of fun but i love it it's just yeah it's good to see the personality starting to come out and maybe it has something to do with the fact that they were able to travel as a team and actually not be locked in their hotel rooms everybody's feeling good pissed off nathan mckinnon is suddenly smiling in his pictures and smiling when his team scores and in general smiling no i like that so, point i mean we kind of heard before how Devon Taves was one of the guys that can't really get that full bonding experience with the team. Now, obviously, he's comfortable. He's even sending chirps towards uh, some of the younger players. So I like that point. Yeah, so it's 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 really great that, you know, things are opening up and, and vaccines and all the, you know, the world has been going the way it is because it feels like ever since May 1st, the world just like flipped a switch and we're like, all right, we're going to go back to having fans and rinks and playoffs and full crowds and a lot of fun. And it has been a lot of fun. Nothing about this has been depressing or COVID-y or anything like that outside of David Perron, unfortunately, missing the series for the Blues. And it's been fun. And I think you can see it in the players, too, because of their restrictions being kind of lifted as well. Yeah, and it has to be at least it has to be extra frustrating for the guys who are getting put into COVID protocol because we're like, oh, all this time I made it without COVID protocol, and now that things are opening up, I get hit with this. This stinks, um, but it is That's what like it is. What I, can you do? When I, what back back in my nerdy days of following the Avalanche to every city they would go to, I would go follow them to Toronto. I would drive to Toronto in the morning, watch the Avs play the Maple Leafs, and then at eight p.m. take a four and a half hour drive back to Detroit. The entire time on the 401, I'm going like 30 kilometers over the speed limit, 40 kilometers over the speed limit. And then as soon as I get off the highway and I'm on the small roads where the speed limit's like 25 miles per hour, I get pulled over for going five over. And I'm like, come on, I was that close, that close. All the hours on the highway, nothing. As soon as I get onto Warren Avenue, a cop pulls me over for going 33 into 25. Same idea. 30 kilometers, isn't that five miles anyway? Uh. It's like three and a half miles. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, I mean, obviously a lack of hockey games to talk about and break down from the Avalanche's standpoint. Gives so you, we gives you Arif rambling on about God knows what for an hour. Well, it also gives you Arif throwing out questions to our listeners and uh, asking for somebody to come and be a part of our show. So welcome everybody. If you're all new question asker, askers to the uh, Hockey Mountain High podcast, welcome into the pod squad yourselves. You and Patrick Stedman are making your debuts here today. Um, so question number one from Papa Doughboy off of Reddit. His question is, I'm curious as the reason why the Avs have signed so many prospects to ELC contracts lately. And those are the, all the guys that we talked about earlier. It's simply this. It's the fact that no matter what team you are, no matter how deep a playoff run you're trying to make, when it comes to guys like Landeskog and Grubauer and Makar, you say, yeah, we'll deal with this when the season is over. But when it comes to all the other stuff you have to do, which is, you know, replacing Heppel with, uh, with, with uh, I can't say his name, with uh, Klippenstein and with signing all of these prospects, 
you're always on the clock. When you're Joe Sackick, when you're that staff, Chris McFarland, so on and so forth, no matter where you are in the playoff run, you're always on the clock for doing these things. And if you have prospects that you need to lock up, if you have guys that are coming up to the end of their term, which none of these guys were in terms of their rights, you got to get them locked up. And I think it was just a coincidence with the fact that the Avalanche had three really good prospects that needed to get signed. And this comes after signing Nate Clerman and Sampo Ranta a couple of weeks ago. So they're just locking them up and doing their work and, and checking off the boxes of what they need to do as they prepare for the offseason. Right. I mean, it's not like these are all guys that are jumping right into the NHL. I mean, there's a very little chance we even see any of them. They're all on two ways. So I don't think there's too much to read into these guys. It's just, like you said, good seeing them lock up the homegrown guys that they can keep around that they drafted because that's a big part of an organization. I mean, obviously, uh, bringing in free agents and trades and whatnot are, are awesome, and that's a big way that they've gotten where they are today, but you can't ever overlook the uh, homegrown aspect of scouting. Yeah, and, and the the other thing is about these guys, from Clerman, Justin Barron, Sampo Ranta, uh, uh, John Luke Foodie, Alex Bukaj, and Trent Miner, all of their deals start in 21-22. None of them start now, so that's important because these are not guys that you're going to be relying on right this moment. I call them Actually, Bo-Cage. I take that back. I uh, I think it's Bukaj. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly it's definitely Bukaj. Sure. If I would have just paid attention and noticed that he was out of the queue, I probably would have put that yeah, together. Exactly. Bo- Patrick Wall would be so mad at you. Uh, again. I will have to correct myself. Sample Ranta's deal starts this year um, because he's 20 years old and, and uh, I don't think it's going to slide regardless. But I could be wrong. But yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. Because he's 20 years old, that's not sliding regardless. But the other guys are all starting next year. I would say of the group of five um, prospects, he's probably the most likely to see Av's minutes first. Yeah, for sure. He's he's a, he's a very good prospect. He's somebody that I actually got to interview at the uh, USA Hockey Arena in 2019, the World Junior Summer Showcase. He was on that same team as Justus Andonen, who just had an amazing summer showcase. So those were two Finns coming into an Avalanche team that had just signed Mikko Ranton into the deal they gave him. So suddenly there's this wave of Finnish guys that are suddenly making their way to Denver. Now, another question coming from Reddit, and I believe this username is Sesame. Um, Arif, thanks for taking our questions with JJ. She starts, he, not sure. What's your take on Nemeth being on the ice instead of, say, McDonald or Byram? It's been a hot topic during our game threads, and it would be interesting to hear you guys dive into the reasoning. So this is where that left shot, right shot thing makes more sense because those would be the guys that would replace Nemeth rather than replacing Timmins if you want to stick to the left, right on each pair. But again, fact of the matter is Patrick Nemeth was brought in because when the Avalanche traded Ian Cole, they were hoping to have Eric Johnson as that physical presence. And then Johnson got hurt for the rest of the season and he's done or he maybe makes a comeback later. Who the heck knows at this point? So Nemeth was brought in. Jacob McDonald and, and Bowen Byram don't play the same kind of game as him. And and as much as we want to go to full skill, which the Avalanche pretty much have at this point with, with Taves and Makar and Gerard, they needed someone who had a physical presence that can clear the crease, that can do the after the whistle stuff. And uh, Nemeth did a good job of that in the first round. He really did. I mean, Ryan Graves took a bunch of penalties, even though he had a good series. Nemeth, you know, he wasn't terrible. I mean, he was terrible at times, but I've seen no reason to take him out, especially considering he's playing over 18 minutes a game. Yeah, I'm 100% with that. And again, you know, I'm a big believer in that mean streak and he's bigger. He's 
the veteran, right? And I think if anybody deserves it, it's Nemeth just because uh, he does bring stuff to the table that other defensemen don't have in their tool belt. Yes, absolutely. Um, question number three, and this one's coming from Twitter, at Flowin' Byram. Love it. Love the name. <laughs> if the Avs were fully healthy, what would you want the lineup to be in round two, game one? So I'm going to go ahead and not count Eric Johnson and Pavel Francouz because that's likely what Flowin' Byram, what he or she is probably asking here. Uh, the one big change that I would make is taking out Newhook from that third line and putting in Matt Calvert. And then obviously Kadri on the second line and Comfort back to the fourth line, you know, suspension aside once that's over. So you're going to have your top line of McKinnon, Land- Rantanen, and Landeskog. Uh, you're going to have your second line of Kadri with Donskoy and Burakovsky. You're going to have Jost between Nachushkin and Saad. And then your fourth line would be Pierre-Edouard Belmar with Matt Calvert on the left and JT Comfort on the right. That is a tasty lineup, if you ask me. And then on defense, Makar and Taves and Gerard and Graves and Nemeth and Byron probably for me ahead of Timmins. And just for shits and giggles, if we're counting the entire roster, anybody, then I would say Eric Johnson in place of Patrick Nemeth. And your third pair is an old Wiley vet in Eric Johnson playing with a young Bowen Byram showing him the ropes. With Alex Newhook, I mean, obviously we've seen him nursing his injury. Do you expect to see him ready to go by the start of the next series yeah, here. Yeah, he'll be ready. He'll be ready to go. He um that's something Bedner said. He had a maintenance day one of these days and Sampo Ranta got some shifts in that spot instead, but it looks like Newhook will be ready to go. But both O'Connor and Calvert, if they were healthy, I would say are probably playing that spot ahead of him. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Brings us to question number four. And uh this this reads more like a phone call, right? As if we were taking listeners. So I'm going to read it a little bit more like this. This is from chapter four. So chapter 408 from Reddit, you're on. Hey, what's up, guys? Love the podcast. Do you think we resign? We re-sign Grubauer at the end of the year? What kind of deals do you think Landeskog and McCarr get? Saad has been a great addition to the team this year. Do you think it's possible for us to re-sign him? I'm going to hang up and listen. Great show, guys. Love it. That was great. Well, chapter four, thanks for the call. I'll let Arif get into this one for you. Grubauer is absolutely re-signing, and I think he's going to get anywhere from five years around six million to crap four years at twenty-eight million, so seven a year. Like he's, depending on how deep this playoff run goes, is just Grubauer adding stacks of money to his next deal, and and deservedly so. Like it could get to the point where Gruby is so good that the Avalanche can't even afford to have a two million dollar backup. You know, unless he asks for Sergey Bobrovsky money, he will be back. So in my opinion, Gruby will be back. In terms of Landeskog and Makar, I think Landeskog's going to get a five-year deal in the 6.5 to 7 to 5 range. And I I, I kind of think Landeskog is such a team player that his contract's going to start with the number six. So five years at 6.67, for example, something like that. Kale Makar, easy number, 10 million. Simple as that. Miko Rantanen makes 9.2. Makar's going to make 10. Give, give me... I don't know if he's going to sign the max deal because he would be stupid to because in five, six, seven years, he can make $15 million. Um, But I would say seven years, $70 million for Kale McCarr. So, you know, he's right on par with Sergei Bobrovsky because that's the same deal Bob got in Florida. Uh, and then in terms of Brandon Saad, simply put, that's going to be the kind of deal where Saad loves Denver so much. He says, yeah, give me a year at $2.25 million. Because the Avs are going to have Belmar coming off the books. They're going to have Calvert, I believe, coming off the books. So 
if Brandon Saad is looking for the four, five, six billion that he can probably get on the open market, he won't be back. But if he says this team is awesome and I love it and bring me back, it's going to be for two, two, five, two, five, two, seven, five. Uh, but I don't, I don't think Saad will be back. I'll just chime in on the Grubauer part just because, you know, I love goalies. Um, he was such a big piece of what this team's done this year that uh, obviously not only has he earned it, but I think just from a building standpoint, no matter what happens this playoffs, you got to keep the big pieces that contributed in major yeah. ways. You can't you can't just throw somebody else in there and expect to just keep growing and keep progressing. So he had too big of a role and too big of a hand in the success this year that he has to stick around if you want to keep building off what you have and not take a step backwards. Because I think putting a new guy in there does p take a couple steps backwards. This is exactly what happened with the Blackhawks, and they ended up signing Crawford to a five-year, $30 million contract, six per year. Uh, which in today's dollars is probably like six and a half closer to seven because of the, you know, the uptick in salary cap that each team has. Um, and, and that's why they did it. They did it because Crawford was such a big part of that team, even though they were stacked and it was like, oh, well, we won with Niemi. We can win with another guy. The contract ended up paying off. He had a hell of a career with the Blackhawks. He got them a th another Stanley Cup on top of that. And, and that's where you're going to have with Grubauer. He's only 29 years old. If he signs for his 30-year-old year up until his 35-year-old year, that's still going to be a good goalie. So four to six years, I would say probably four years at around that six and a half range is going to be reasonable, and you are absolutely spot on. He is too big of a player and a piece on this team to just let him walk. And that brings us to the last question from Puck Ronan, who hey, has actually I submitted a him. question yes. before. Shout out Puck Ronan, return return listener here. We kind of already got into this at the beginning, but we got to get through it anyway. Uh, kind of a long one, so bear with me. The Avs will likely have more than a full week off between the end of the St. Louis series and the start of the second round series. There have been many examples of teams coming off of sweeps and playoff series who end up not playing as well, coming back after longer layoff, which leads many fans to worry about rust being a negative factor in the second round. Do you think rust or rest in an intense compressed schedule season will be a bigger factor in the second round series. Shout out, shout out to Puck Ronan because we literally addressed every single part of this question without even realizing that this was waiting for us at the end, including the part where he said rest or rust in an intense compressed schedule, because that's what I was saying earlier when the biggest factor for me is in a regular season. Yeah, the rust could start to get the best of you. But in a season where you've not had time to breathe and really practice and focus on honing on your skills and team chemistry uh, in such a compacted schedule, I don't think it's going to be that much that that big a factor as it would have. So uh, we kind of got into it. But shout out to Puck Ronan because, dude, you, he or she, whoever it is, we literally touched on every single point that you asked here to the T. Uh, so I hope you got your answer earlier in the podcast. Even the rust or rest part, I really yeah. didn't read this question until right now. And, you know, I started with rust or rest, but I, I compare it a lot to a men's league, right? A lot of times in a men's league, you'll have one bench that has like 15 guys and one bench that has seven guys. And sometimes that bench of seven guys gets up to an early two nothing start. And by the end of it, the team with 15 guys takes over in the third period and really runs the show. That's exactly what I was saying earlier. I think it doesn't really matter the outcome of game one. I obviously hope for a win, but if the Avalanche happen to lose because of this too much rest versus rust idea, then I think it's still in the long run going to be okay because they're going to be able to adapt and be more healthy by the time if, it, if and when it gets to 
a long series. Because if, hypothetically speaking, the Avs were to lose game one, I think then that series goes the distance, right? If not, then the Avalanche can easily clean it up in four or five. But um, I think it's all dependent on game one, but it's it's not a make or break if they lose it. The funny thing is you just used that men's league example to explain the Avalanche series as a whole. But that men's league example could literally be the game one example where the Minnesota Wild jump out to a one or two goal lead in the first period coming off of just playing two nights ago. And then, the you know, the fatigue starts to catch up to them. The Avalanche get their feet under them. They get a couple power play opportunities. Game ends, the Avalanche went four to two or five to three. And it's like, well, that first period is long gone now that the Wild had. So that very much could be the way it goes. But I just don't think the rust is going to be as big a factor. But uh it's, it's going to be fun to watch it unfold, especially considering the Avalanche are 18-0-1 in their last 19 games at Ball Arena. Right, and probably the next time we talk to you guys here through this podcast will be after Game 1, maybe even Game 2. Who knows what our schedules will look like. But um, So either way, this is uh, probably our last podcast before that first Brown game. So, you know, it's time to get excited for it, and it's time to really keep an eye on what this team looks like health-wise and uh, rest versus rest-wise, right? Uh, obviously, I think we found the name, the title of our podcast. Yeah, I think so too. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to watch. I will make one final note because Eric going on long-winded rants is a very normal thing in this podcast, especially in this episode. Hallelujah. So Sunday's game one, six o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time, eight o'clock Eastern is an interesting choice by the NHL. And I think they were trying to get a game in on that Sunday prime time slot on the East coast because the Denver nuggets are home at ball arena Tuesday. So if the avalanche are playing game one Sunday, that means they're either going to a play back to back Sunday, Monday, which I doubt will happen or B game. One's going to be Sunday. Then there's going to be two days off and game two is not going to be till Wednesday of next week. It would have made more sense to me to just go Monday, Wednesday, but it looks like they're going to go Monday, Wednesday, and then maybe games three and four are back-to-back in Vegas. We saw that in the first round in a couple series in, in the Canada division this year in the North division, but it looks like there's going to be two days off between games one and two. Yeah, that's interesting, I guess, to follow to see how that uh, affects things, but it's a good problem to have if you're a Colorado sports fan, right? Having two teams in the playoffs and having a hard time figuring out when to schedule which. Uh, I love it. So hopefully that continues through later rounds for both teams because I love playoff time in Denver that you could feel the energy from the fans in the streets. You see more jerseys. You see more um, just paraphernalia from both teams, and it's just a good time to be in Denver. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be game five. The Nuggets are actually in Portland right now for game three. That series is tied 1-1. So hopefully they come out of that one and they go on a run because I'm excited to see this sports town really start to buzz as fans are welcome back to Ball Arena in, in waves now. We're already past 50% capacity. It's crazy. It's 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 nothing I thought would happen even six weeks ago. Yeah, and you know whoever the Avalanche do end up playing, hopefully Ryan and I will have a nice little preview interviewing somebody from that team uh, from that city so look out for that on saturday early afternoon other than that thank you so much to the people who contributed questions i hope we got to all of them and gave you good enough answers um ready to wrap up the show Arif? that's yeah that's it for me right on well thank you so much for hanging out with us we'll be back soon to break down some more abs hockey if you made it this far in the podcast bless your heart hockey's for everyone and we at you